the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Time flying by today. Jimmy Sangenberger in for George Brockler, who's been a bit under the weather. Of course, I host the Jimmy Sangenberger Show Saturday morning, 6 to 9, right here on News Talk 710 KNUS. Coming up in the next segment, we will be joined by David Harsani of The Federalist to get his take on what we just heard from President Joe Biden again offering up excuses for classified documents being found in his garage at his home in a locked garage along with his Corvette. What's going on here? This is, as multiple people have texted in, very strange. Something is odd about all of this. But let's turn local now as the Colorado General Assembly is back in action for their annual 120 days in session. And this time they're not waiting for at all for the extreme gun control bills. As soon as the assembly convened, Elizabeth Epps, Democratic Socialist in the legislature, introduced an extreme gun control measure. That would ban so many guns. Most guns, I think, that you use today. But let's get a better understanding of what's going on here and the constitutionality of this. With Dave Copel, Research Director at the Independence Institute and Adjunct Professor of Advanced Constitutional Law at the University of Colorado Sturm College of Law. Dave, good morning and welcome. It's good to talk with you. Good morning. And just to be precise, I teach at Denver University, not CU. Um, oh, did I just say CU? Yeah. Oh, sorry. I was reading from here and I, and I said Sturm College of Law. Thank you for the clarification there. I don't know why I said University of Colorado. Um, but now we know, and I appreciate it very much for you joining us. So, uh, Dave, let's just jump right into it. Um, what are we looking at here with this proposed ban? This is, uh, well, as you said, it's Representative uh, Elizabeth Epps, a, uh, who claims that she's against police violence. You know, she, she positions herself on the very far left. Um, but then after claiming she's against police violence and all these guns she wants to ban uh, are, you know, are made for killing a lot of people, innocent people at once in massacres, there's an exemption for the police. So uh, Representative Elizabeth Epps, supposed opponent of police violence, uh, wants the police to have guns that are made for killing a lot of people at once. Interesting. Funny how that is. And she's also against, uh, uh, she claims, uh, she's a prison abolitionist, doesn't want to put people in cages. And this is a bill to put lots and lots and lots of people in cages. Um, And, you know, the the way gun control and 
in, uh, happens at sort of the cultural level is it's this argument of supposed urban elites uh, against what they consider backwards white people who live in rural areas. But then when you look at how gun laws actually get enforced, the people against the mo- who are enforced against the most are people of color in big cities, uh, you know, like Denver. So this, this is a, uh, it's a trap to put lots and lots of black people and other people of color in jail and confiscate their guns. And let's be very clear that the data is abundantly clear on that and has been for many years. So what would this ban entail, Dave Copel? Because it is very broad, isn't it? It is. But let's let's start off with a key thing. It doesn't ban any gun based on how fast it fires. The guns they want to ban just fire with you press the trigger once, you get one bullet want another bullet, press the trigger again, which is basically what the vast majority of common handguns do. And this would ban lots, lots, but not all of common handguns and lots, but not all of common rifles. So it has nothing to do with the gun's rate of fire. And it also doesn't have anything to do with, I'll tell you one exception, but it, in general, it doesn't ban guns based on their firepower, like how powerful, how big is the bullet, how fast does it travel, how much damage can it inflict on the target. Uh, the vast majority of the ban has nothing to do with that either. What it does is it bans guns for having features, they call it, that they say are bad. So here's an example. If you have a... Uh, you can have a gun that has a, a fixed stock, you know, some nice, beautiful wooden stock made out of walnut. Or you can have a gun with an adjustable stock, you know, typically made of plastic or metal. So let's say you have a, a married couple that, that owns a gun, and one person in the couple is tall and the other person is short. With an adjustable stock, you can adjust the size of the stock to properly fit the particular user when that person is using the gun. They want to ban that. They say that makes it that makes a gun an assault weapon, which is preposterous of course. The fact that you can move a, a stock back and forth uh by 5 inches uh doesn't make a gun more powerful. So it it's it's replete with things like that. Um and one of the things ways it it bans guns in a way that people don't re- may not realize, is there any gun that has a, a threaded barrel um, at the, the the barrel, you know, what the bullet travels through at the front, the muzzle? A lot of guns come with threads already, you know, uh, made, factory made, and that is so you can attach a you can put an attachment on the front of the gun, um, something that is completely legal in Colorado. Um, it is is a uh, suppressor, a sound moderator, sometimes called a, a silencer, but that that's inaccurate because only in in the the movies uh, does a silencer make a gun actually close to silent. What right. it typically does is reduce the uh, noise by about thirty decibels, which would say take a common handgun from the sound pressure level of a jet engine, you know, down to the level of a jackhammer. Which is still pretty loud in my right. book. Yes. Um, and a silencer is legal in Colorado, and this bill doesn't purport to ban them. 
Um, but in fact, it does because the way you attach a, a uh, suppressor is you screw it onto the front of the barrel. Now, to buy a suppressor, you've got to pay a $200 tax, spend months going through a federal registration process. This wouldn't change that, but it would make it impossible to have a, a, a suppressor uh, because uh, the gun, because you can't have threaded barrels on on a handgun, and that's really harmful uh, for hearing. You know, in in Europe, which generally has stricter gun controls than the United States, uh, a lot of guns come with a suppressor pre-installed because they're it's better for hearing protection. Uh, it's better to reduce noise so that you know uh, if you're out in the countryside shooting. Uh, than the neighbors who live half a mile away, they hear less noise. It's all, you know, suppressors are all very positive uh, for public health, for, for health in general, including hearing protection. Um, but they would, oddly enough, not ban silencers, but they ban threaded barrels. And here, here's one of the key things. So let, let's suppose you own something you thought was a, a perfectly normal gun. You, know, you, you bought a rifle with a folding stock 15 years ago. Or, you know, you, you bought a handgun that happens to have a threaded barrel. Maybe you didn't even care about that. You, you may not know until it's too late that it has a threaded barrel, but, but it does. Um, that becomes presumptively illegal in Colorado. The gun that you've, you've owned for, you know, decades perhaps. And then they say, well, when the police come and they say, oh, look, you have a handgun with a threaded barrel, you know, I haven't put anything on it, uh, <clears throat> but there you are. Uh, the police confiscate the gun, and you have three days to prove that you owned the gun before the effective date of this ban. Well, how do you prove it? According to the law, really what you can do is, well, you, you might have a credit card receipt, they say, but that wouldn't really tell you anything, because that just tells you you bought something at a particular store doesn't list the credit card receipt doesn't list the items and they say well if you bought it from a gun store the dealer will have records which is true you know and then you can go to the dealer and and the dealers by law have to keep records for 20 years so you can go to the dealer and say can you dig up this old record for me maybe they can maybe they can't you know maybe they're computerized or not but what if you bought the gun from a friend which was perfectly legal to do in Colorado until 2013. So you bought your handgun with a threaded barrel in 2012, and you know your friend, not being a gun dealer, doesn't keep detailed records of everything. So there is no record of the sale. So therefore, you're a criminal, and you go to and you get convicted of a crime, and your gun gets confiscated. So it's really a catch-22. And again, this is going to be enforced in against uh, poor people and uh, uh, people in Denver uh, who are disproportionately people of color compared to the rest of the state. Uh, they're the ones who are going to get put in this uh, Kafka trap uh, set up by supposed prison abolitionist uh, Elizabeth Epps. Again, we're talking with Dave Copel, research director at the Independence Institute, who is 
filed many amicus briefs on various gun control and gun rights legal matters from all different levels of courts. Appreciate your time this morning. Uh, Let's talk about one other aspect of this, which is the kinds of guns that it would ban as far as semi-automatic pistols and what have you. I mean, you have a lot of handguns that, for example, women would like to be able to purchase that are very popular among women. And my understanding is that this bill would ban a heck of a lot of those firearms. Well, it, it doesn't ban all. It doesn't ban all semi-automatic firearms. Mm-hmm. It, it's a confusingly written bill. Sure. It, it, it doesn't do that. Mm-hmm. It bans guns if they. And again, so it, it has nothing to do with rate of fire, or, or ammunition capacity, or uh, or the or the power of of the bullet uh, for these bans on on semi-automatics. Um, and but it does ban guns in in very kind of irrational ways. So, for example. We've had a, a magazine ban in the state since 2013 for magazines over 15 rounds. The, this new law says, well, suppose the magazine fits in the uh, the grip of your handgun. Oh, well, that's okay. Um, but suppose the magazine instead fits, as in, is the case in some guns, it fits forward in the gun, like underneath the action. Well, you know, what's the difference? If he, uh, the difference is one of those would be banned in Colorado, and one would not. Like, why does that matter where the magazine fits in how the magazine attaches to the gun? You know, I understand the the law on magazine capacity, and at least that's regulating something real. You know, there's a difference between a a nine round magazine versus a sixteen round magazine. That that that's a real physical difference. But as to where the magazine fits. Who cares? So it, it's a collection of all these things that that have nothing to do with the gun's lethality. Uh, but is it, and it's really it, it's not the end game. It's the first step towards banning more and more guns in Colorado. Mm-hmm. Because once this passes, then they'll come back and say, "Oh, well, there's all these loopholes in this bill we wrote." Because even though we banned a lot of guns, you know, we really didn't ban the guns based on firepower. So we'll have to come back and do something else on that uh, in another year, and then we'll come back like Governor Ned Lamont in in, uh, uh, Connecticut is talking about, oh, we have to get rid of grandfathering and go around and confiscate guns, also like the government of Canada uh, is is planning to do. So it it is the first step towards gun gun confiscation. We'll confiscate a lot of guns from people who can't prove when they bought it. So if this passes and becomes law, it sounds like, It'll be very confusing for people to understand whether their firearms fall under the law or not. I mean, you're describing a, a slew of different things, and you even said it's written very confusingly. I had a listener say, this is a little bit confusing. Could you ask your guest if the law would ban a semi-automatic pistol like a Glock 1911? And it sounds like that depends. Yeah, uh, per se, it wouldn't ban it wouldn't ban a, a Glock version of the uh, the venerable Colt 1911 pistol. Uh, but if the uh, if, if you happen to have a threaded barrel on it, uh, then it would ban it. Mm-hmm. So let me ask you a broader question in our remaining uh, couple minutes with you. As a professor, uh, adjunct professor of advanced constitutional law at the University of Denver, what is your constitutional analysis of this? Because it seems flagrantly unconstitutional, both in accordance with the First Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, as well as the guarantees provided in Colorado state constitution. Well, um, 
the guarantees in the Colorado State Constitution from our 1876 Constitution uh, were written in the broadest language possible at the time, as of 1876. They every every word they chose was to make the right as strong as possible based on examples from from other states and other constitutions. Uh, But our Colorado Supreme Court uh, has basically nullified the state constitution right to arms, just Mm. like it nullifies Mm -hmm. other parts of the constitution it doesn't like, like the Taxpayers' Bill of Rights or the bans on, for example, taking private property from a small business so you can give it to a big business. Um, You know, it's a... uh, the Colorado Supreme Court puts itself in the position where they can redline and, and in effect, uh, delete parts of the Constitution they don't like, and they've deleted about 7% of our state Constitution. So, in court, don't count on winning a case on the Colorado Constitution. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. On, this, on the U.S. Second Amendment, which does apply to the state of Colorado, which has to obey it, uh, the U.S. Supreme Court has said we have a test that is based, you you should look first of all to the text and the original meaning of the Second Amendment, you know, from 1791, and then you can see how that is elucidated or or filled in with details uh, by the subsequent mainstream American legal tradition, you know, particularly in the time closer to the Second Amendment, Um, but then going on through, through much of the 19th century. And you can not only have the kind of gun laws that existed back in those days that were widespread and common, like um, you know bans on discharging a gun, you know on, on New Year's Eve just for fun and when you're inside town, but you can also make analogies to those laws and uh, and think of uh, and the, the, the analogies can allow new types of laws to exist that are similar to uh, older laws. The problem for the gun ban lobbies is there's nothing like that in American legal history up to 1900. The only thing that really comes even close is in, in 1893, uh, Florida enacted a licensing law for, for, quote, Winchesters and other repeating rifles. And that was a, a, a law that was, uh, as a Florida Supreme Court justice later pointed out, only enforced against black people and was conceded to be unconstitutional uh, if anyone ever tried to apply it to the white population. So there, there is no legitimate precedent um, in this country for this type of ban um, under the Supreme Court's uh, standards. Wow. But, but, you know, there's a difference between having a case in front of the Supreme Court versus having the case in front of lower yes. federal court judges, some of whom just go ahead and straightforwardly enforce what the you know what the Supreme Court tells them to do, and others who uh, come up with evasions mm-hmm. and uh, and refuse evasions. to follow it. <laughs> That's a a nice way of putting it. Evasions. Yeah. Uh, by the way, yeah. for those listeners texting uh, or wondering when does this new law go in effect, it has not been passed. It has only been introduced in the state house, and God willing, it won't pass the house. But if it does pass the house, hopefully it won't pass the Senate. And if it does pass both, hopefully Governor Polis won't sign it into law. But we all need to be aware of this when it comes up for committee, uh, testimony, etc. The public definitely will want to make sure that you have your say. We are out of time here. Dave Copel of the Independence Institute, also the University of Denver's Sturm 
Durham College of Law. Really appreciate your time this morning, as always. Thanks for coming on. And by the way, I encourage folks to check out your op-ed from last weekend in the Denver Gazette. Assault weapon, still a bogeyman for Colorado polls. Thanks so much, Dave. Thanks for having me. All right, we're going to continue our Dave Hour in the next segment with David Harsani of The Federalist, who will join us to discuss the latest developments in the saga of Joe Biden's classified document showing up now in his locked garage with his Corvette. Don't we all want a Corvette? Sounds nice to me. I'm Jimmy Sangenberger in for George Brockler. Keep it right here. News Talk 710 KNUS. Rocking and rolling back. Jimmy Sangenberger filling in for George Brockler this morning here on News Talk 710 KNUS. Thanks for joining us and being a part of the program. President Biden, just a little bit ago, gave a press conference. Well, not really. He answered two questions. One from Fox News' Peter Ducey about the classified documents that showed up now at, we know, this is the second batch discovered yesterday, at his Delaware home. In a locked garage, as well as my Corvette, he said, and really tried to emphasize that the DOJ immediately notify the archives about this. First of all, why in the world were lawyers or whomever sifting through his garage finding things, or the University of Pennsylvania, his office there? looking for documents back in November in that case, November 2nd, several days before the election. What are we to make of all this, and to what extent does it really matter? Let's talk about it with senior editor at The Federalist, David Harsani, who joins me now. Good morning, David. Happy New Year, and welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. So let me just ask you a broad question. Where are we at with this thing right now, David? Yeah. Well, that's pretty broad. I think we're at exactly. uh, we're at a place where, you know, we had a lot of talk about how important it was to lock down classified documents, how vital it was to democracy to ensure that the presidents don't abuse. We're talking with David Harsani. Um, your signal's a little weak there, David. I'm going to ask Bill to check on that, please, for just a moment. Um, again, this is a rather striking proceeding here. Like, when you think about the way that it has developed, first we get news of documents that had been uncovered on November 2nd, and then we get to, and that was several days before the election, what, six days before the election in midterms? And then we get to yesterday when a second batch was discovered, and now we know it was in his home's garage. I mean, stunning. We have David Harsani back with us. Go ahead, David. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, the main thing to remember here is that initially we were told that there were big distinctions between the Trump case and the Biden case. And one of them was that, uh, you know, Biden had these papers in his office of his think tank. It's a very serious place. But Donald Trump had them lying around his own home. Well, now we have documents <laughs> lying around 
Joe Biden's garage and an adjacent room, whatever that means. Another distinction, you know, was that, you know, the number, you know, Trump had many more, which really is kind of, I mean, it's maybe legally relevant, but politically it's kind of irrelevant. It matters what's on those documents. Why are they being taken? Why, you know, things like that. But now with an, with another small batch, if we get another small batch from Biden, we'll have a full, you know, cache of documents as well. So, um, it's just interesting that all those uh, rationalizations for why, you know, it's OK what Biden has done, of course, are uh, not really that operational anymore. And I guess the last quick one would be that, um, you know, everyone's saying, well, Biden's cooperating. Well, he's cooperating with his own administration and his own right. attorney general. That's not really that impressive. Moreover, you don't have to cooperate. Maybe I'll, I'll get a lawyer and I'll argue about something. It doesn't necessarily make it. Um, mean that Joe Biden's not lying about why he has those documents or his aides, etc. Sure. Well, he seems not to know. And in fact, according to yesterday, Corinne Jean-Pierre, the press secretary, he was surprised. Take a listen to this. He had a closet with he, classified his information lawyers in did it the right. Again, 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 he did. He was right surprised that the records the were there. He spoke to this personally. He was surprised that the that the records were there. Uh, is he surprised that the records are next to his Corvette in his garage, David Arsani? I mean, that was a, that was hard to believe too. Yeah, I don't know. Who knows if he was surprised? I don't know if his aides were surprised. I don't know if the think tank people were surprised. Right. You know, they reported it as a fact, but that's just what they say, not what we know. They wouldn't. If Donald Trump said, "Boy, I was really surprised to find this here," they wouldn't take him for his word. They'd want to investigate and they'd want a special counsel. Now, absolutely. You know, I'm curious from the media coverage standpoint. Again, we're talking with David Arsani, Steve, senior editor at The Federalist. Uh, initially, it seemed to be something that the media was sort of just carrying the water for Biden. But then yesterday you saw Ed O'Keefe of CBS pressing on the timeline and others pushing back that are not named Ducey from Fox News. And I wonder to what extent the media is actually going to press on this and why they actually seem to at least to some extent have a little bit of an interest in this that maybe we didn't see in the first day or two. Listen, there are always outliers, um, I think, in the media that do a good job. So when I say media, you know, I always (laughs) implicit in that that is that there are some good people out there. But in general... It seems to me very much that this story was being managed, that they were just repeating talking points. Like, why are these two stories separated? It seems pretty clear to me. It's because they didn't want the number of documents to seem as big as the number that Trump had. And that's why it's a two-day release. Remember, they found these documents before the midterm, supposedly. And then they went, you know, they were diligently rummaging through everything, looking for more documents. And they just happened to find them after the midterms. And now they happen to find more uh, two days after the initial story. Well, that's that's pretty interesting happenstance, I think. Yeah. So how does this play out politically in your assessment, David? Because, look, the Democrats were trying to make a big to do, understandably why they would, about Donald Trump. Now you have the sitting president of the United States with documents showing up just days before the election at a university now in his garage next to his Corvette, which is really good sounding for the average American hearing about his Corvette and so forth. I'm just I'm just curious kind of what what the political implications are in your view. Well, I mean, I know how people will react. They'll you know, they'll just say it's keep saying it's the Democrats will keep saying it's different. You know, it's just completely different because Biden's a good person and Trump is evil, you know, et cetera. 
And but I'm not sure it's going to play with the American people because I I just don't understand how the, the American people at all, frankly, you know. So, I mean, I don't know how this plays, but it seems to me it's going to be really weird if the special counsel that's now uh, uh, investigating Trump on classified documents is going to say, let's prosecute the, the, the former president of the United States who's running for president while the president sitting president basically has done the same thing. Um, and he's going to just get to walk away scot-free. That's going to be a pretty interesting thing for people to hear about. What do you make of the distinction that they have been making that, oh, we had returned the documents right away as soon as we realized this, we contacted the archives versus Trump, who uh, really, I mean, the FBI had to show up and take documents uh, with a subpoena. So then they say, oh, well, that makes all the difference in the world because one, you got the cooperation. The other, you don't have cooperation. So we could trust Biden. Did Biden hand them right over? He had them for seven years, right? I mean, the the idea (laughs) that he handed them right over is ridiculous. Just he says they just saw it and they just (laughs) found it and they handed it over. But that's the point. We don't know that that's what happened. And maybe it is. I don't know. But we don't know. And, uh, you know, he's had them for seven years and his, you know, he did not cooperate with the Trump administration and hand over any documents because, you know, it is important as a political, just to note politically, what are on these documents? They report, uh, CNN reported yesterday that one of them had Ukrainian stuff on it. Well, you know, there's a lot of going on with Ukrainian interest in, yeah. and, and Joe Biden. Even the Obama administration was worried about his actions there. And, uh, you know, so are those documents that would have been embarrassing if they had gotten into the hands of someone, a Republican administration? I mean, it seems like a reasonable thing to want to ask. Uh, a few minutes before you said this, I love the the text. Uh, you made this point, but before I end the listener pointing out, yeah, he immediately notified them after however many years of having the documents immediately in quotes. And I mean, here's the thing. The American people right now, David Harsani, really do have such low trust in politicians writ large. Uh, I mean, how much attention are the American people going to pay to this story and to the Trump story now? How much will they really care given the issues that are going on and sort of their general suspicion already about people, whether they are Republican or Democrat, who are in government? Probably not a ton. I mean, it's kind of like a process story, I guess. I mean, unless there's going to be an actual criminal indictment or something of of Trump, I think then the story becomes very different. So I don't think anyone's mind is being changed or anything like that. I think it probably, you know, just feeds into that distrust people have of government. But I will say it becomes really uh, grating to see these two tiers, basically, of justice, that everything one party does is is the worst thing ever. It's an attack on democracy. It's crumbling the foundations of our institutions. And then the other side does it, and then they pretend it's just no big thing. I mean, it goes on and on and on. And I think that double standard really hurts trust, at least on one side. Mm. David Arsani, our guest, senior editor at The Federalist. I want to shift gears here for just a moment because you've also you wrote a little bit about this in the media a couple of days ago. But you also had and I love the headline of your piece. And we talked about this in the show yesterday when I filled in for George. Why won't Democrats protect us from stoves that want to murder us in our sleep? OK, let's talk about this proposed ban on gas stoves david how have we gone so long with gas stoves even being allowed in the first place i just don't know as you say save us elizabeth warren (laughs) well let's talk about the timeline for a second you know first they bring this up they float it's a trial balloon they want to see how people react 
So they say, let's ban uh, stoves. They're the worst thing ever. They kill children. I can't believe we still have them. They're bad for the environment. Republicans say, wow, that's pretty crazy. You know, you're nuts. You want to do this? They point it out. Then they pull back the trial balloon because it didn't work out, even though Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, uh, you know, AOC, tons of politicians were out there yesterday, like talking about this, like it has been an issue forever. Like, how could you not even, you know, how could you even want stuff? Like, are you nuts? And then they pull it back. And then the stories today are like, look at these crazy Republicans talking about uh, gas stoves. Aren't they crazy? They're pouncing, you know, (laughs) on this thing. So it's like, like that's how these things constantly unfold. The truth is that it's actually an important story. One, because it's already happening in California and New York and in other uh, liberal states. And they want to do this and they're going to do it in the long run. And it actually has more of an effect on the normal average American than most of the political stuff that we talk about. This right. is an actual thing that will have something, you know, undermine that their, their lives in some way. Um, you know, and it's just based on pseudoscience. In my opinion, it's just a green, you know, they just want to get gas out of your home so they can get everything on the grid and then, you know, have it run with the sun and wind, et cetera. Well, and then we know what happens when you get into electric vehicles and then the government says, wait, we actually can't let you charge your vehicles because it's too cold or this and that. What, what about when that happens, when it comes, when everything's on the grid and, uh, you know, you're not easily able to get your stove going? But wasn't it in Denver, I think, a few years ago that they, like, turned off the thermostats one day when, when, when I think the uh, grid was being taxed or something? I forget exactly where it was, but um, that already happens. Yeah, I, I think the thing is, and, you know, this is a more serious issue, underlying issue here, is that I just don't think progressives and most Democrats and many Republicans, especially Democrats, have any limiting government principles. They just, to yeah. them, if they can get away with it and control something within your house and take it away from you, which seems petty, but it's actually quite a big thing. Um, as far as in my view, it, because it, it's it, what they're saying is that we can go in your house and take away stuff that you have and like just because we want to. Right. Well, it, it's because they know better. The all-knowing, all-powerful government should be allowed to just come in and dictate those basic aspects to your life. So here's the question, David Arsani. Final question for you. What do you think if the Democrats do move forward at some point with banning these gas stoves and take other similar steps? Is there a point at which the American people will really just say enough is enough? I know Republicans to control the House, but will will there be a point at which they will say we're done with all of this? You fill in the blank. No, no. I mean, I, I don't see it happening that way. It's yeah. for, for the left. It's always incremental. It's always here's the trial yeah. balloon. Oh, you're crazy. We'll never do that. That'll right. never happen. And then they just do it statewide Boiling and then frog. It sort of proliferates. Right. Yeah. Well, I, I, unfortunately, I tend to agree with you there. David Harsani, senior editor at The Federalist. Always great to check in with you. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. Really appreciate it. Anytime. Thank you. Thank you. Once again, David Arsani of The Federalist joining us. Jimmy Sangenberger filling in for George Brockler. We're going to take a break. Some final thoughts on the other side. Boy, is time flying by. News Talk 710 KNUS. Flying by Jimmy Sangenberger. Been filling in today for George Brockler. News Talk 710 KNUS. Appreciate the text. Good show today, Jimmy. You and William do a good job. I appreciate it. William always does a mighty fine job. Bill Thorpe, the fixture here 
on the George Show. Whether it is George hosting, me filling in, or somebody else sitting in the chair, you know, you got a good old Bill Thorpe making sure the train runs on time. Good to be with you today. As always, we will watch with great interest, and I'll talk about it more on my Saturday show, I'm sure, 6 to 9, the Jimmy Sangenberger Show Saturday morning, leading into Peter Boyle's 9 to noon. But this is just, something is so strange about this whole story about Biden's classified documents. Again, the question was asked by multiple listeners texting in. Why the attorneys? Why were they sifting through in the University of Pennsylvania? Why in his locked garage alongside his Corvette? Can I just ask if you have any information about why the president's personal attorneys were at the Penn Biden Center in the first place? Were they looking for something specific? Was there something specific they were doing going through these documents? It just seems like to send, if it was just routine moving stuff to send a personal attorney to do I, I would well. refer you to the White House Counsel's uh, very extensive um, uh, uh, kind of information on, on Monday that they provided. Uh, so I refer you to that. But it's a reasonable question, right? Why? Why were those documents recovered when they were recovered? And why years after he'd left office? What was going on here? And why the double standard when it comes to Trump? Increasingly, it becomes less and less viable to argue, oh, there's a massive difference with Trump when you have random documents or documents supposedly randomly popping up, really? What in the world? Well, then again, this is the same administration that says, oh, it's just a coincidence that when Biden was down at the southern border, there weren't really many illegal immigrants around. He didn't talk to any migrants and he didn't go anywhere that people actually cross illegally. Why not? But he also but he met uh, he went to the the migrant center, which was a critical place, critical place to be. When you think about the partners uh, who, who are uh, our partners who are helping uh, support. Uh, the migrants on the ground there. Uh, there happened to be no migrants at the facility at the time that he visited. But let's, but let's... El Paso has been crushed. The shelters are full. There are overflow migrants sleeping in the streets, and then it's just a coincidence that suddenly the president shows up and... Well, let me talk about what's going on in El Paso, right? El Paso uh, did go down significantly prior to the president's visit uh, by about 70%. And that's a good thing. Mm. Yes, yes, okay. It was just cleaned up, just pure, just purely coincidental, just like it's purely coincidental that two days after the news got out that Biden had classified documents at the University of Pennsylvania in his so-called think tank, that more documents are uncovered this time and returned to the National Archives. This time in the garage of his home by his Corvette. With his Corvette. Because that somehow seems to justify it or something. I don't know. Well, that's just one more time. Let's remember Joe Biden last year talking about Trump. When you saw the photograph of the top secret documents laid out on the floor at Mar-a-Lago, what did you think to yourself looking at that image? How that could possibly happen, how one, anyone could be that irresponsible. And I thought, 
what data was in there that may compromise sources and methods. By that I mean names of people who helped or et cetera. And it's just uh, totally irresponsible. Totally irresponsible. He says, come on, man. Totally irresponsible. I like this text. Where are the photos of the classified documents spread out on the hood of Biden's Corvette? Joe, what did you think when you saw these documents spread out? Huh. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I don't think we're going to see those images i think they just bundled them up and said oh we're gonna give them right on back collected but i do like the visual of biden's classified documents spread out on the hood of his corvette in the garage where they were suddenly suddenly found because he's all so surprised he had a closet with he, classified his information lawyers in did it the right again again Again, he did. He was surprised that the records were there. He spoke to this personally. He was surprised that the that the records were there. Tom Rogan at the Washington Examiner wrote the following a day or two ago. This decision, that is as far as what's going on with Biden and his documents and so forth. Will significantly weaken the perceived apolitical credibility of any future decision by the Justice Department to charge Trump. The Justice Department must always decide whether proceeding with charges is in the public interest. Biden has greatly undermined that argument via his own classified document problems and associated hiding of that scandal from the public. And by the way, that was hidden from the public for two months. It may have suddenly somehow been discovered, discovered by Biden's lawyers at the University of Pennsylvania and then turned over quickly. But why are we only hearing about it now? Trying to cover up? Huh? What about this other batch? Look, the more that these batches come up, the more that we learn, the less credible it is to make that distinction and say, well, at least he cooperated, unlike Trump. You kidding me? Let's just say that everybody in government needs to get their stuff in order and better track these documents and what happens with classified documents, the records, etc. And by the way, to the listener texting, you do remember that Trump said he declassified all those documents, right? It's one thing for Trump to say it. It's another thing for his lawyers to present it. And say, oh, here we we claim that he just declassified these documents and here's the documentation that we did. They didn't provide that. I, I, I thought exactly as you did, but there's no evidence that's been given by Trump's legal team that he actually did declassify those documents. But it's neither here nor there in the context of the Biden situation. In both instances, you have... Questions that legitimately will be raised, and it undercuts the anti-Trump stuff, what's going on with Biden, political implications. Fascinating. Donald Trump on the campaign trail is going to have a lot of ammunition against Biden and his administration. Fair enough. To the texture, I think so, too. I'm Jimmy Sangenberger. I'll be in Saturday, 6 to 9, for my show. Have a great one. Stay warm, and God bless America.
Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.